We now have a new pet in the household. You don't sound too happy about that. Reed. It's fine. I, I really it doesn't really affect me one way or the other. And before anybody jumps to any conclusions, we do not get a dog or a cat or something. My oldest daughter is the proud owner of a bearded dragon. Yeah, these aren't the giant ones that like eat people that you see at the zoo or anything. Or climb up seven eleven. Right, exactly. Exactly. No. Smaller than an iguana, but kind of like, you know, if you're picturing something, it's more like along those lines. You're not too happy about it, though. No, it's fine. I just find myself in text threads with neighbors asking, can they pick us up some crickets when they go to Petco today? Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 219-219, if you're counting at home, Touchpoint episodes that have released on Wednesdays, which is all of them. Actually... Have we ever released an episode not on a Wednesday? I don't believe so. We've always been Wednesday for some reason. Yeah. Well, if somebody knows differently, let us know because I've forgotten if we have released one on a different day of the week. But anyway, here we are. Another Wednesday, another episode of Touchpoint. I'm Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer. Beautiful day outside. Good day to podcast. Before we get into today's topic, quick plug for the network, Touchpoint Media. If you are not familiar, yes, this show is named Touchpoint. The network that we're a part of, also named Touchpoint, Touchpoint Media, touchpoint.health is the website. There's about 20 shows on the network now, all things healthcare, some great shows, great show hosts, great episodes, great topics. Go check it out. Again, touchpoint.health is the website. While you're there, sign up for the TPS report. Weekly email comes out every Monday five articles to get your week started as aggregated by our show host. So we'll pause for one brief minute and then be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is, and Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews, and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand, they demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. So as you alluded to, Reed, this is going to be an interesting topic today and one that I think is is of top of mind to many people, but also to some people, they, they may not have actually thought about this before. And that's the topic of business models, the various business models we have in healthcare. Uh, business models. Yes. Uh, something that I first thought of as I sold baseball cards as a kid, I guess. <laughs> well, you created your own business model when you were doing that, I suppose, yeah, it's right? More of a trade, more of a more of a flea market kind of business model. Is that a is that different? In fact, we're going to talk about what does it mean to create a business model. What are the elements, the components? We'll talk about some standard business model types that we use in healthcare that are typically revolved around the different audiences that we have. And we have a really interesting interview later on in the show too. Yep, right? we do. Greg Matthews, host of Data Point, also here on the Touchpoint Media Network. Been a great friend of the show, but also a great contributor to the network over the last several years. And yeah, we spent a little bit of time talking with him about physicians. So anyway, more to come on that here in a few minutes. 
But let's start at the top like we always do. And we found an article that's called What is a Business Model? The Different Types of Business Models Explained. Didn't think that we'd get to this kind of granularity on this show. Very specific. But in short, they talk about a business model being an outline or a structure, if you will, on how a company, in the most simplest form, how a company plans to make money. And that could be through its product, its service offering, through its customer base, whatever it might be. The business model, when you define it, really should explain four things. So let's go through those really quick. First thing that it needs to uh, really articulate is what product or service a company will sell. Seems pretty straightforward. Let's apply that to healthcare and healthcare organizations today. I think that if you would ask 10 different people in a hospital system or a health system what their product or service is, you might get 10 different answers. You could. It's whatever those people are in charge of, probably. But yeah, yeah. which that's, that's okay too. But, but even in a broader sense, to your point, more philosophically, do you provide a product or a service? Most would say a service, probably, right? Yeah, I think many would say that it's a service. There are certain people that still think about what they do as a product. All right, second thing on the list after you've decided if you have a product or a service that you plan to sell is how your said business intends to market that product or service. So billboards. Clearly. Good. I'm glad we got that mentioned. I'm going to check that off. (laughs) That is an interesting question. How you intend to market that product or service. I, I often feel when I work in the marketing department at hospitals and health systems that sometimes we're at the end of the line. We're not even at the beginning. This seems to imply that we need to be there in the beginning. That is what it implies. Which, hey, I think we've said that a time or two before. Let's go on to the third element of what a business model should explain, and that is what kind of expenses it will face. That's interesting Um, because, well, one, there's a lot of them in healthcare, but specifically, I think what's interesting here is I think, at least where my mind went, was the price transparency stuff that we've talked about in recent weeks, right? So as you think about expenses, I guess everybody's assumption is, is like expenses are the same for everybody and we're just monkeying with the charge, the price, the retail price. In a health system, that's it could be vastly different type of expenses depending on what care location you're in or where you're at. Or even if you're serving a broader area, maybe in the rural community, it might be a lot cheaper to deliver those services than in a in an urban community or vice versa. And it directly relates to the fourth and last element that a business model should explain which is how it expects to turn a profit. Hospitals need to turn a profit. What about the nonprofits? <laughs> <laughs> Again, what are we doing? Are we selling a widget? We're providing a service. How do we market it? What kind of expenses, you know, and ultimately at that point, how do we turn a profit? What do we charge? How you know, what is that? This all relates to the business model. Now, a lot of people that understand economics and understand business and maybe have MBAs like you read, this is a dramatic simplification of a business model. And clearly there are various different types of business models that are out there. Further on in this article, we won't read everything in the article. We'll link to it in the show notes, but they indicate the essential components of a business model. So those are the four things that need to be explained. Let's quickly tick through like some of those essential components. Yeah, let, let, let the MBA take over here. First one, value proposition. You need one of those. So <laughs> that one's free. <laughs> Yeah, value proposition, certainly uh, it needs to be an attractive product to your consumer, for example, or something somebody wants. Or an essential service, like in many health systems, right? Uh, It might not be attractive, but it's essential. The second is identifying your target market, the specific group of consumers who would be interested in your product or your service offering. Now, that's where it can get a little complex in healthcare, because depending on where you sit, you might have different consumer groups that you're looking at. Or even the same group by different providers or service offerings within the, within the organization, which is kind of interesting. But third thing here on the list, competitive advantage. So what makes you unique? This is kind of back to the value proposition a little bit. It kind of feeds the value proposition, I guess. But why are you unique? 
you know, what, what's, what's different about your organization or your, your offering than your competitors? Because we have board certified physicians that we put on yeah, billboards. Multi, multidisciplinary. The continuum of care, if you will. We joke about that, but that is very important for why would people choose you over others? The fourth piece here is cost structure. Here we go, Reed, back to your earlier point. The list of fixed or variable expenses your business requires to function and how they affect pricing. And that's the interesting in healthcare that's really nuanced there, right? We When we talk to the CFOs at our health systems, this is really what keeps them up at nights. So this is a, the cost structure is very important. That could be an uh, episode in and of itself. So I'm, I'm going to kind of leave that there for now. Key metrics, another episode in and of itself. So how do we measure success? And what you consider to be the metrics of success, too. And we've talked about that before, Reed, about identifying what are the KPIs. Really, really critical for an organization to understand how you're measuring that. Another point here is uh, resources, the physical, financial, and intellectual assets of your company. I always get kind of squeamish when we talk about physical assets of your company and intellectual assets of your company, because I think that kind of implies your employees too, doesn't it? Mm. Yes. It doesn't sound like the right way to describe them. Maybe we can extend that definition here to include employees as a separate category. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably fair, especially in healthcare, because that is such a limited resource in a lot of cases. The problem and solution. So your target customers' pain points and how the company intends to meet them. So this needs to be, again, part of your business model. Uh, Where's the pain point? How do we uh, solve for the equation? That is one where we, you and I have talked about often on the show, Reed, about really trying to understand our customers' pain points and optimizing their experiences around them. I think it's interesting that this article defines it as an essential component of your business model. Oftentimes in healthcare, it's assumed that our services are so much needed that this isn't really top of mind, but I like that they place that here. The next uh, essential component Uh, We're almost through the list here. So again, keeping it very high level. But the next component is the revenue model, the framework that identifies viable income sources to pursue. Now, in healthcare, that's complicated, right? Because you have multiple ways that you get viable income. That could be through direct billing. It could be more times than not through uh, commercial billing or federal funding, right? Through billing in that regards, but really identifying where your revenue sources are coming from and how to optimize those revenue sources is critical. And finally on the list of essential components of a business model, profit margin. And yes, profit should be an essential component or you won't have a business model uh, much for very long, at least. (laughs) But anyway, this is very uh, simply put, the amount uh, that your revenue exceeds your costs. Which we hope it does, as we always say, right? If it doesn't, not a good business model. Now, this article was written as a high level, and they actually describe a variety of different types of business models that are very simplistic in nature and Clearly, not many of these are applied to healthcare, so we're not going to cover all of those. But if you're interested in learning a little bit more and reading about it, we'll link to it in the show notes. But Reed, why don't we do this? Why don't we come when we come from back from the break? Why don't we talk about some of those business models that we actually hear about in healthcare, and we'll dive into a deeper conversation about those right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone Bowstring and Touchpoint Media live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, before the break, we talked a little bit about what is a business model. Now we're going to talk uh, briefly, just kind of at a high level, of what the common business models uh, in the healthcare environment look like, and then uh, talk about some. uh, 
keys to success or increasing your market share as the article mentions it. So let's, let's start off with the actual business models that we, that we hear about. Uh, I think Chris, the, the most common one, I say the most common one, I guess they're the first two are very common. Uh, first one being business to consumer or B2C. Yeah, we hear about that a lot in marketing and particularly with the advent of consumerism. We, we talk more and more about uh, consumer experience and all of the things that are kind of the hot trends in marketing. The business to consumer model tends to be the one that we focus a lot of time and attention to. But I would also argue that even at the care setting, a lot of uh, our caregivers recognize that the patient, who is the consumer in this scenario, right? is the focus of what we do as our efforts. Patient experience efforts kind of focus around it. Clinical care is centered around that patient. So when we talk about business to consumer in healthcare, for me, it really implies not only patients, but maybe their family members and those people that are seeking out care. Maybe they're not patients of ours at this point in time. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, I think about patient acquisition and kind of the volume recapture piece. Um, historically, you think about tools like health risk assessment tools and the you know, paid social ads. And like this, this is where a lot of that B2C comes in. You know, you're going to someone, to an individual that you think might want what it is that you do. And that's where we see a lot of our service line marketing efforts. And even on the, uh, the flip side, a little some people might would say this is B2B, but B2C I, from like recruitment standpoint. Yeah, I like that you threw that in there because I think recruitment is sort of like to that individual, right? You're recruiting a different product that offering, in this case, like a, a career or uh, the ability to work for your organization. But I think that makes sense. I also think, though, Reed, when we think about the B2C business model in the healthcare space, it becomes a little less C oriented because of they don't pay directly. There's this sort of indirect way and they pay for our services and consumers in healthcare are a little bit different than consumers in maybe traditional retail packaged goods and things like that. Don't you think? Yes. Because again, if you think back to some of the things that we talked about, like what makes up a business model. So you think about the services or the products and you know, how it's marketed and, you know, some of the, what, what expenses it faces and things like that. We don't tell anybody what any of this costs. Well, we do now, but we sometimes hide that from our search results. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's not a retail offering, I guess is my point. Like you don't go in and it's like, oh, you know, we've got, yeah, absolutely. We've got seven of these left, you know, and they're all $399. In a lot of cases, there's not a finite number. There's not a sticker with a price on it. You know, it's just, it's different uh, to some extent. Okay. So knowing that, let's talk about the other type of business model that's around a, uh, an audience type, which is B2B or business to business. How is that different than B2C, Reed? Well, it's business to business. It's different in the sense that, um, well, you're you're simply just not the one landing it in front of the customer. And, and in a lot of cases, the B two B piece of this is uh, a service another organization is buying from from your organization versus a consumer, you know, or an individual, a retail, you know, customer buying it from you. So I can think about this as like uh, SCP used to be called Schumacher. There are a bunch of ER physicians, like a, an organization of ER physicians that staff ERs around the country. Well, that's B two B. You know, they're they're selling their services to another business or their product to a business versus directly to a consumer. Yeah, and so it's a disintermediate way of of promoting your products or your services. And in part, it's because you're partnering with another business where their success in utilizing you helps their success as well. Even when you think about what other kind of B2B work that we do in healthcare, we sometimes reach out to other organizations or companies in our communities that um, may benefit from doing a B2B program with your, where their employees are covered by your care services, right? Through like occupational health or they're getting inherent benefit from partnering with you on this. Yes. And they're the customers, so to speak. What are some other B2B 
audiences that we sometimes reach out to? Uh, I think about it like the athletic training or physical medicine space. Um, and so that may be something like um, other organizations like local universities, for example, where you know we're staffing particular needs in their athletic department. You know, uh, Again, the business transaction is between the hospital and the university, not between the hospital and an individual. So that's one that comes to mind. You mentioned occupational medicine. I think that one's smart. Potentially things like wound care and some of those types of service lines find their way uh, being contracted directly with like post-acute providers uh, in, in like a nursing home environment, their residents or something like that. Yeah, it's interesting when you get into the B2B space, like it, it that definition of that other business kind of can evolve and be a little bit different. I would even argue that in a population health perspective, all the work that you're doing, you're actually reaching out to local communities and uh, community leaders, maybe even, you know, faith-based groups. And that's a B2B play. You're not directly selling them something that's, you know, that's of goods, but you're leveraging that relationship to reach ultimately that consumer audience. So let's, okay, so the third model we're going to talk about, and this is where it gets a little fuzzy, B to B to C. So business to business to consumer. So how's that different? B to B to C is kind of maybe just like what I just described, right? That community outreach, you're ultimately providing a service to the consumer in the, in the community. And that community partnership maybe is a way or conduit in which you can get there. I look at B to B to C as where the primary business transaction you have is with that business audience, but they sell it to a consumer or maybe they whitelist it to the consumer because that consumer actually utilizes services directly from you. Yeah, I see this. Like I can think of this, for example, with dietitians. Uh, we had a, a client that some years ago had a dietitian that was teaching cooking classes at the YMCA. So the business transaction, again, was between the YMCA and the hospital, but it was benefiting those consumers that came in as consumers of the, or as clients or members of the Y, right? So um, there were some additional things they could buy and services that they can contract with this dietitian through their Y membership, right? And so that's where it kind of, it's not, it's not with the Y employees, although, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they could take advantage as well. That would be B two B, right? If it was if it was the dietitian working with the employees of the Y, that's a B two B. Working with the members of the Y, then being able to contract the dietitian through the Y that is then employed by the hospital is B two B to C. That's really interesting when you think about that, right? Because what it does is basically the health system that had that sort of relationship right through the Y. When that nurse or that doctor actually works with members of the Y, they're representing the brand of the hospital or the health system that they're associated with. So it's almost like you're passing through brand recognition directly through your B2B relationship to that consumer audience. I think of that in like health brokers too. When you have a clinically integrated network and you're dealing with health brokers, those brokers are the B2B side of the house, but they're actually selling your healthcare services directly to the consumer. It's it's the idea that you as a as a business entity, you as a hospital want to leverage someone else's membership base, client base, however you want to frame that, right? And so, again, you see this a lot where we're staffing potential like health clinics, like at universities. There's those types of things where there's maybe other community partnerships um, where you're actually getting and have the ability to leverage or get in front of a population that, you know, you didn't, you didn't have before. You know, the more that we describe it, a lot, the more I think that a lot of the services that we provide and a lot of relationships that health systems provide is more of that B2B2C model, if you think about it. Well, there's another uh, type of audience that you're going to talk about in the interview, too, which is that relationship with the doctor or the provider. But before we get to that conversation, Reed, let's really quickly talk about one last article that is around healthcare marketing B2B. And the title itself calls it out. It says six keys to increase your market share. Yep. 
Absolutely. And again, we'll kind of keep this high level, but I think it's just some interesting kind of thoughts as you think about, because we do a lot of, you know, you end up in a lot of B2B marketing communication scenarios, right? And so this is going to sound very familiar if you just think about marketing in general, but uh, they, they rattle through six things and we'll, we'll talk about those. Uh, first and foremost, become laser focused on your most important buyers. Uh, they talk about buyer personas, gathering data, et cetera. But I think that makes sense. Whether you're talking about consumers, um, you know, that's usually where we hear about journey mapping and personas and things like that is around a, uh, a consumer. But do we have those in the B2B space? It's a really good question. And, and, and even more so, the second point here is they say, define the purchasing process of your ideal buyers. And that's part of that consumer journey, right? The three stages in general from a B2B is awareness, consideration, and then decision. But you have to define those different funnels. And they can be different depending on your B2B audience or, or if it's a B2B2C, that could even be different too, right? So you have to think about those different stages. Third, they say leverage quality content and premium content offers. Now, I'll talk about the premium content offers or gated content or you know whatever it may be. But really, I th- what, what I take away here is, is what is the call to action? What are we trying to get them to do? And how are we creating content that leads them down that path? So this could be direct marketing campaigns, certainly blogs, podcasts like you're listening to today, et cetera. There's different ways to, to leverage quality content. Um, I think, you know, the premium content offer comes in to, you know, how, how do we potentially do something like that to leverage the partnerships? How do we create things specific for their audiences? If it's a B2B to C or even B2B, how can we leverage something that is uh, specific for their employee base? Related step four here is to stay updated within your industry to keep an edge. You have to understand where your industry is headed, what your market is doing, what are market share statistics you need to understand, what are some emerging business trends within your industry, what are some of the latest technologies that are out there. And all of this is so you could design the right content that meets their needs because they're the ones that are constantly struggling with day-to-day issues in the marketplace. Number five, use search engine optimization techniques. So again, some of this is probably more helpful on the B2C side, especially on the consumer-driven service lines. But don't forget about things that you can do organically. And so I'm going to kind of lump all of organic together, not just the SEO piece, but all the organic pieces as it relates to LinkedIn and some of these peer-to-peer networks uh, as you're thinking about you know, how do we build these relationships. And you know, dare I say, offline things like going to Chamber of Commerce events. The sixth one, which is very, very prevalent in B2B and other industries, but in healthcare, it needs to be really important here. Nurture, nurture, nurture. Nurture your leads. Realize that decision-making processes are not that quick. They don't happen that quickly. So once you have a relationship with someone, definitely uh, ensure that you have the right tools and processes in place so that you could keep them up to date. You could continue to nurture them and give them all the information they need through sometimes a very long sales cycle. Well, I think this is a good chance to uh, press pause for a second, jump out, talk to our good friend, Greg Matthews. Again, fortunate to have Greg join us uh, for what will be the, I'm going to guess fourth or fifth time at this point. I, I don't I don't know, but he is also the host of DataPoint, which is a, another podcast around data analytics and innovation here on the Touchpoint Media Network. And uh, quite honestly, he's just been a good friend, supporter, and advocate of both Chris and myself for a number of years. And so if you're not familiar with Greg, tune in and then be sure to jump over. We talked about some ways you can track him down, but but jump over and have a conversation with him. I guarantee you'll enjoy it. So uh, let's take a quick pause, and then we'll be back with the one and only Greg Matthews. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. And today, fortunate to have back on the show, I don't know what number this would be for you specifically, but Greg Matthews, host of Data Point a member of the Touchpoint Media family. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Reed. Good to be back. 
So, you know, you spend a lot of your uh, effort, energy on a day-to-day basis around physicians, physician online preference, uh, their profiles, marketing to physicians, you know, that, that kind of world. And you've done that for some years. And and I thought it'd be interesting to have you on the show because I, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. One is, and, and, and we, Chris and I have talked about this over the last year, but at Gerard, we've done a couple of different studies about things relative to the pandemic, right? And so initially, you know, we talked a lot about trust and, you know, are people, you know, perception around safety and willingness to return to the facility or a doctor's office or what have you. And anyway, we've done a couple of studies now in, in national surveys, and each time we've kind of trended this idea of trust and the physician or the clinician is always kind of up at the top of that, right? So as we think about physicians and and marketing to physicians, I know a big thing for a lot of our clients right now is this idea of, of volume recapture. You know, we're kind of coming off of the pandemic. How do we get people back in? What does that look like? And I'm going to assume a good way to potentially do that would be to market to physicians, <laughs> Yeah, people that refer into our facilities, you know, as part of kind of this acquisition campaign. I mean, is that a fair sentiment, I guess? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. And I think it's also really interesting that you referenced the level of trust that people have in their clinician, in their doctor, or, you know, whoever they're they're seeing on a regular basis for healthcare. Because honestly, the same thing goes for doctors right? Doctors trust other doctors too. And even more than that, they trust other doctors that they know. Uh, and so as you, as you think about, you know, how do I, you know, start to get things back into a normal flow? How do I restart the engine? I think it's a really interesting thought to think about those referral networks and how they could potentially be enhanced. Okay, so to that point, that's interesting. I haven't thought about this. We've done a lot of we, Gerard, <laughs> we, we, not me. I, I don't know that I did a whole lot. But anyway, we did these studies, right? And it was about who the consumer trusts, right? Do they feel safe to return? And now we've done some client work around, you know, physician surveying and, you know, some of those, you know, types of things and what the sentiment is within the organization. And anyway, but but usually there's a different kind of focus for that. There's a you know a physician compensation model redesign work underway or, or whatever it may be. But we've done this around you know, who does the consumer trust? I don't know that we've ever asked who the physician trusts. Yeah, it is. It's a really interesting thing, and I know I can actually uh, point to a couple of studies that, and you know, different ones will say different things. But uh, you know, up to seventy percent of the time, doctors are referring to doctors who they know, even whether they're in network, out of network, you know, in the, you know, same uh, affiliated uh, hospital network or not, they're, they're referring to people they know. And that to me speaks to that level of trust and familiarity that exists between clinicians. And I think uh, it surprises me that more hospitals aren't taking that into account as they're sort of developing their strategy for physician outreach. So you mean to tell me people do business with people they like? like That's, <laughs> that's a revolutionary concept. Yeah, I, you know, that's <laughs> true in probably every industry and every aspect of our life, right? Uh, I, yeah, and I don't know why we haven't made that correlation or bridged that gap over to the you know the hospital marketing or the healthcare marketing side uh, of of that and you know I'm a marketing guy I was a hospital marketing director I'm not I come from the marketing side not the communications side and I can think historically and of course we've worked with a lot of folks and you get very quickly get into service line marketing we want to grow this particular service line. And typically the thought process was, is, okay, we just hired these new physicians or this new group of docs have just come over or whatever it is, and we've got to get them busy, right? And then we go, okay, cool. What do they do? And then we market that service. And, and I know there is some complexity, especially in states like Texas with the corporate practice of medicine and things like that, where you may not be able to market the physician proper. You know, you can do some welcome related stuff. Anyway, I'm not going to get sidetracked with all that. So we default back to this service line marketing and online health risk assessment tools. And we try to drive people in to the service of bariatric surgery or joint replacement 
or wh- whatever it is, right? And we think about, again, much like our surveying of who people trust, we're surveying the consumer. We're thinking specifically about the consumer. We're building personas. What's that consumer journey look like? And we're trying to hit those people. Oh, it's a weekend warrior that's running on Town Lake. And, you know, we need to get them in for the back pain thing with the spine guy or whatever. And so what you're saying then is, you know, maybe we don't market the physician, but we look at who does the physician trust and use that network to leverage potential uh, opportunity. That's exactly what I'm getting at, Reed. And I think, you know, in in cases where you can, I, I hesitate to even use the term market the clinician, but, you know, there are opportunities to feature the good work that's being done by clinicians in your institution. Again, depending on where you're, you know, where you're located, uh, that looks a little different. But even if you can't feature clinicians in clinician-focused marketing, there's still an opportunity to leverage the network that exists between your affiliated clinicians and all the unaffiliated clinicians that they're connected to. And that's something that I think is really an untapped resource, that network that exists, in order to be able to sort of hyper-target material at unaffiliated clinicians who have a reason to care about your institution because of who they know there, right? It's not because they they are in love with your hospital. It's because they did their residency with Dr. Smith uh, and they trust her implicitly, right? That's So finding the doctors that Dr. Smith did her residency with or the, the doctors that Dr. Smith has published her research with or the doctors who interact every day with her uh, in social media like being able to target messages at them, I think they're going to be much more likely to re- be responsive to your institution because they are a part of Dr. Smith's network. Yeah, I like that idea. And I want to dig into that a little bit because I don't know, you know, I'd love to kind of think about <clears throat> first talking about what really what you mean by the network and the kind of the unaffiliated physician and, you know, kind of what it, what is that? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, I don't want to get too too much into the jargon here, right? But we have a group of doctors and nurses and technicians that work in our hospital, right? Those are our those are the people that I think about as those are our affiliated clinicians. They're the people that, you know, are have hospital privileges here, um, that are, you know, working in our facility every day. What I think of as their network are the people who have a referral history with them. That's an obvious one. And I think most hospitals probably do take pretty good advantage of that. But it's also the people that they're on medical society boards with. It's the people that they were in residency with. It's the people that they graduated med school with. It's the people that they have done, you know, that they've published research with. It's the people that they've done clinical trial investigations with. It's the people that they're connected to on social media. Everything that I've just named there are public sources of data that help us understand what those networks look like. And so being able to draw a map that connects my affiliated clinicians to the unaffiliated clinicians in their network, it does a couple of things. Number one, it helps us to target an audience that has a built-in reason to care about what I'm saying as a hospital. But number two, it provides a way to add value to those affiliated clinicians, right? It helps me to reinforce the connections that they have professionally. Um, and if we have an opportunity, you know, to feature them in a piece of content uh, that we share, even to have them create a piece of content that we wind up sharing, again, depending on your state's regulations, like that it has a benefit for your affiliated clinicians as well, just to strengthen those ties, to enhance their reputation among a network where they're already known. Yeah. Okay. So I like that because again, you know, people do business with people they like or trust or both. Again, we probably do a fair amount of physician marketing as it is, but it's, it's more from, we have this new service, we have this new piece of technology, all of which is not bad but I will caution against the idea that if you're a decent size organization in a decent size market, there's a 
pretty good chance your competitor also has said piece of technology in service. So I'm not really sure there's any differentiation there, right? And, and I think that's where we get caught sometimes. Now, again, marketing the benefits hey, we can do this faster. Hey, we have these mechanisms in place to make your life easier, referring physician. I think those are good messages, certainly. You know, we've got these de- a dedicated team or this dedicated phone number. This, you know, we, we have these things that make your life easier. But I think what you're saying is, is there's a way to do something which I don't think we've done, which is really identify what this network even looks like, one. And then secondly, prioritize in and amongst those spheres, you know, you probably have like a, and I, I don't know what words in your mouth, but kind of like a tier one and a tier two. And a, so identify and then prioritize and then actually execute on that and, and measure in some way. And, and I would say, I would give you a yes and on that read, because I think that you're right. When we think about referrals as the ultimate goal of a program like this, you're right. You are going to want to focus on certain geographies and that will be tempered by, you know, how specialized is the specialty, right? Because there are some, you know, there are some cases where you will get people from a regional basis rather than just a statewide basis. But I'd also, I I would, I would open up the discussion and say, it's not just about referrals anymore. Uh, ever since uh, Doximity sort of opened the the can of worms relative to the the U.S. News and World Report best hospital rankings, I think physician reputation has become much more important as well. And that also that will take you outside state lines. That will get you into a regional, uh, you know, a regional conversation in many cases. Again, depending on the specialty, and so. It's actually, it gets really interesting to map those clinicians' networks because most of them are going to be within the you know local geography anyway. That's a natural thing to have happen. But it's pretty interesting to be able to go out to the regional level and actually promote the work that your institution is doing via those clinicians that have networks in the region. Okay, so t- talk about that. So U.S. News & World Report... Uh, is a big deal for most folks, along with some other quality stuff like Leapfrog or you know fill in, fill in the blank. So how how does something like this? How's mapping this sphere of influence and this network really impact you know in this case U.S. News and World Report? Yeah. So the idea is that something depending again on the on the specialty, something like thirty percent of the best hospital ranking is is based on the physician reputation score right? That survey uh, that goes out through Doximity and the marketing efforts that go around that are typically oriented around a region, not necessarily a state, but a region. And so as a, as an example, I took, I, I looked at a hospital in the, in the Southeast, uh, a hospital that's based in North Carolina and mapped their clinicians networks. And for their 500 or so affiliated clinicians, they were connected to 5,000 unaffiliated clinicians in the United States, 1,600 of whom were in the Southeast region. And we're able then to pinpoint down to see, all right, where is, like, where geographically are they? What kind of institutions are they affiliated with? And all of a sudden now we can build marketing campaigns that are specifically oriented to, you know, community hospital affiliated clinicians in Georgia to get them involved in thinking about, hey, our hospital in North Carolina is actually really good at XYZ. It enables that kind of thinking, uh, which can really go a long way in terms of promoting your hospital to an audience that matters, either because they're going to refer and or they're going to you know, be voting in the best hospitals. That makes sense. And so I th- there's a lot of things that, that are uh, potentially viable you know, through doing this type of work, right? So there's the reputation side of the equation, and there's also the growth or volume side of the equation from a patient acquisition standpoint even. Um, and then I'm sure there's there's some sort of an angle into even recruitment. If I'm listening, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm at an organization, and it's like, you know what, this is, this is probably worth doing. Where, where do you recommend people start? It's, it's a great question. And honestly, I think... The ways that that I would encourage people to get started are using 
using data that is accessible. So first of all, being able to access data on existing referral patterns, you know, we think about that data in terms of referrals, but we can also think more broadly, like, could we be leveraging that in as, as we look at recruitment? Could we be leveraging that as we think about reputation? That's something that typically exists within your institution. The other places that I would go are some of the public data sources. So Medicare, for example, in their physician compare tool actually gives data on every physician's med school and graduation year. You know, so if I know for my clinicians, you know, when I, I can look them up in the physician compare tool to see where they went to med school and when they graduated and look at the other people in their specialty who went to the same med school and graduated the same year. That's, that's a type of connection data that's easily accessible. It's publicly accessible. Um, and another example of that would be social media. You know, is my, are my doctors on uh, Twitter? Uh, do they have public Instagram accounts? That, that kind of data will allow me to see you know, who's following them. Uh, who who is connected to them via those online channels uh, and then target messages in those directions. There are a number of different data sources like that. The, uh, PubMed is another one, right? So for academic publication, most clinicians at one time or another, you know, even if it was when they were in med school or residency, have been involved in some kind of academic research and being able to look at that publicly available data source to see, all right, who are the, you know, who are the collaborators on that research that can become a part of their network? Yeah, so that's that's really interesting. It's fascinating, and I'm sure it's things that you can even just get lost in, right? I mean, it's it's building. I mean, it's a CRM of sorts. It's building a database that you can then query. And so, I think you know the 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 encouragement here is is first off, go get all the information you have as an institution, probably, which is their name, their credentials, where they're physically located, you know, all, all those types of things. Make sure you have that and it's all correct. And then start appending these other data sources to those records. I think that's exactly it, Reed. It's being able to stitch those things together and do some layering of that data. And so many hospitals have you know, a really strong informatics team, for example. They're not necessarily focused on this stuff, but is there a way we could leverage some of the skills and the tools that exist uh, within that team to apply, you know, for, for a different purpose. Well, this is great. I, you know, and I think I would encourage folks if you're, if you're hearing this and, and again, it makes sense where you should start, but you don't have the bandwidth to do it. Don't have the internal expertise, all those kinds of things, but by all means, reach out to Greg and we'll have links in the show notes, but, uh, healthquant.health is the website and that's probably the easiest and shortest pathway to, to, to find him. Uh, obviously you can track him down on Twitter. You can go to the touchpoint.health website and find his show data point. And there's some links and, and whatnot there, but I uh, would encourage you to reach out to Greg if you've got time. So man, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you being part of the network and uh, look forward to seeing more of this work going forward. Thanks so much, Reed. It's been fun. All right, special thanks to Greg Matthews. Always appreciate his time and expertise. And quite honestly, just enjoy having a conversation with him. So it was a good excuse to uh, uh, to get him on the line and uh, chat about physicians, physician outreach, physician marketing, and all that kind of fun stuff, influence, et cetera. So really appreciate him. Uh, again, reach out to him if you haven't. He's um, a great guy to have a conversation with, certainly, and um, bounce ideas off of. All right, quick plug here for upcoming industry conferences. Uh, there's a list of those in the TPS report that comes out every Monday morning. If you have not, you can bounce out to the website, touchpoint.health, sign up for the TPS report, and you'll have quick links in your inbox each Monday morning. Five articles to start off your week, but also kind of down in the bottom of that email are some quick links to upcoming industry education. So that's awesome. And before we get out of here, let's uh, do some recommendations. Reed, I'm going to recommend another game for your phone. I'm a big game for your phone guy lately. I don't know why. But this one kind of mixes together two things that I think are really are, are really great. I'm a big fan of music, like all different styles of music. And I like little games on your phone. And lo and behold, I came across something called Queen Rock Tour. 
but you can imagine what that's about, right? The band Queen, right? Who, who doesn't like the band Queen, right? It is a little like rock band, right? Remember the old rock band where you had to like oh, yeah. punch buttons yeah. at that yeah. time? But it's on your phone and it goes through the whole history of Queen's catalog, literally 40 songs, full-blown songs of Queen's catalog from when they were younger to when they're older. And as you go through, you you know, the more you play the, the songs the right way, you get new outfits, you get new haircuts, and you go evolve and eventually, you know, play it live aid. And playing it is it's easy. It's something you could do. you get queen music while you do it too. And there's nothing better than that. So for me, that's my recommendation this week for you. If you want to have a little bit of fun, go out there and download Queen Rock Tour. It's available on, you know, all the major gaming platforms. Have fun listening to a little We Are the Champions. Uh, I'm going to recommend a documentary. It's on Netflix, Operation Varsity Blues, The College Admissions Scandal. It's really fascinating. Uh, side note, unrelated, I'll be attending Stanford in the fall on a sailing scholarship. So, <laughs> so this is related to those the scandal that we ha- yeah, heard about. It's all about it. It's the year, whole right? deal. And I didn't realize, I mean, you just kind of see it in the news, right? Because there were a couple of celebrities involved. I, that really about all I knew about it was uh, Aunt Becky from Full House or whatever. She's got her kids into USC or somewhere. And it covers it covers them. It, it does, uh, but it's really there's a guy that's like the center of this whole thing, and it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And so, really, it just comes down to people with a lot of money wanting to make sure that their kids get to go to the school that they didn't get to go to, or make sure they got into the school that they did go to, or you know whatever. So, it, it really is kind of fascinating to see kind of how this whole thing worked, and you sit there the whole time thinking like. Are you for real? Like, this is like, how is this even? Anyway, it's just, it's fascinating to me, um, you know, how the whole thing actually panned out. But uh, it's just another example of uh, what money does uh, on both sides of the equation people that have the money and people that want the money. So, anyway, it's a, it's a good documentary if you like that kind of stuff. Uh, it's on Netflix, uh, Operation Varsity Blues. It's, it's probably one of the trending ones. It's, it's fairly new. Operation Varsity Blues, the uh, college admissions scandal. And I just completed my Venmo transaction and looks like I'll be attending Harvard. Oh, nice. Um, (laughs) Anyway, good stuff. Uh, Well, hey, this is another great episode. Always, uh, always fun to do these. Uh, Got into something a little bit different today. And again, you know, we're going to have more more show hosts from across the network come on and share their expertise. Something we haven't done in a while and certainly something that we haven't done since we've added probably a dozen or so more shows uh, since the last time we probably had some of these folks on. So there's a reason they host their own shows because they're really smart and they know uh, lots of good stuff. And so we thought, you know what, let's have a few of those folks on and, and talk about things. And so look forward to more of that coming forward. But again, if you've got ideas, suggestions on topics, hosts, uh, guests uh, for the show, et cetera, uh, let us know. We'd love to, love to hear from you. Reach out, Twitter, LinkedIn, probably the easiest way to track us down. And uh, for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.